Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast about all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, um, there really isn't any other topic we can discuss than Sporting Kansas City's decision to hire Gavin Wilkinson. This news broke the day after we recorded last week. I'm a little bit glad that I didn't. We didn't have to react to it in real time. Um, we're obviously going to discuss it now. To say that he has had a checkered past would be putting it pretty mildly. The decision to add him to the technical staff in this uh, sporting director role has garnered overwhelmingly negative reactions on social media. Uh, It's the most united I've seen this fan base about anything ever. And it's cast a pretty dark shadow over what is usually a time for optimism about a new season and what we could have in store on the pitch. And no one really gets to spend any time thinking about that because we have to reckon with uh, the decisions made at the top of the club. Um, we'll obviously dig into the timeline of his transgressions, his performance as an organizational leader throughout tonight's discussion. Both Cody and I have spent a lot of time over the last few days um, researching and informing ourselves about the details of what he presided over and his com- his complicitness in those situations. Um, I was obviously aware of a lot of these things. Both of us were when uh, the Sally Yates report came out, when the athletic article came out in 2021, the Yates report, the end of 2022. Um, but I was aware in that I read the athletic articles and I think I remember reading the, the summation or some uh, the summation at the beginning of the Yates report. I didn't dig into all 300 pages of it. Um, and there are, I didn't dig into all 300 pages this time. I dug into specifically the, the part that was related to the thorns and Paul Riley um, and what Wilkinson's, you know, um, piece of that was and where he was mentioned. So I, I, there is some stuff that, you, you know, is worth absorbing, just informing myself on and just refreshing my memory on for sure that I think we both did. Um, I don't know. I don't know where to begin here, Cody. Um, obviously, I, we're both pretty frustrated. We're both a little bit. Uh, both struggling a little bit to kind of understand. Feeling a little bit betrayed, I think. Um, and we're just two white dudes. We're not like the guys, we're not, we're not women that have had to deal with abuse or abusive relationships that are now having to look at a club that they used to use as a release from those memories and those types of things. And then having to now have that drudged up again. So like, you know, obviously our feelings are pretty mild and pretty insignificant in comparison, but still it's just, it's a, I I mean, it's just a, it's a frustrating um, situation that seems so unnecessary. Yeah. I think that that is, um, that's one of the, 
the really difficult things for me when I think about it and, you know, trying to come to grips with it is um, it, it, it really is, it really does seem like um, like something that's <laughs> frankly being imposed on fans. And it's not like, like there's no reason we should be having to deal with this uh, as fans. There's no reason why we should, you know, be, be um, <clears throat> questioning our, you know, our loyalty and the the extents to which we want to uh, support the club because um, because of of a uh, 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 hire in in the office, you know, and it's uh, um, I I just re- I really recommend that that um, that if everybody like you know read the Yates report uh, as much as uh, you can handle because it's not uh, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. Um, and also, um, you know, read, uh, the, the great things that have been written by, uh, you know, by, uh, Daniel Sperry and by, uh, the folks at the athletic and by, um, uh, the folks over at Casey soccer journal as well. Uh, and, and listen to the, the other podcasts that uh, covered the subject, because, I mean, I think it really, it really matters. And, um, you know, most it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be easy for it to get lost um, in the noise of everything else for for more casual soccer fans, uh, and I think it's definitely something that uh, that we have to make sure doesn't get lost. Yeah, I would say that certainly over the last week, the um, consistency in negative messaging has been pretty significant. Um, as you noted, it's probably going to need to continue along those lines. Uh, for there to be any acceptance by the club and whether this there's any substantive change that will actually happen we'll have to we'll discuss that towards the end of the pod today about you know what could happen what do we think is realistic what do we think should happen um but yeah it's um i think it's important that fans that are upset by this and upset by this concerning trend of uh, decision-making that seems to be in the face of fan support versus harvesting it. Um, And this is, I mean, this is completely separate from that. I mean, it's just a poor decision uh, across the board and and we'll discuss why. Uh, To your point about Casey Soccer Journal, Chad Smith uh, wrote an article and covered this in his For the Glory uh, KC podcast with his wife, Sheena. They he really went deep about explaining and walking through the timeline and all of the details of what has been reported, both in the Yates report, uh, The Athletic by Meg Linehan, uh, as well as a few others. Sam McDowell and Daniel Sperry have written, written some things for the star, as you noted. Um, but Chad does a good job of aggregating a lot of that information and kind of telling a story about what happened. So I'm not going to repeat all of those things tonight. While we're recording this, I will kind of do a quick timeline, and then we can talk a little bit about each of the pieces of this that Wilkinson had a piece, had a you know involvement in, and what his culpability is in those environments, and specifically talk through some of the things that he refutes, as well as doesn't seem to accept responsibility for, and that are concerning to me. Um, when you're talking about hiring a significant organizational leader. Um, showing an inability to effectively lead that organization well via these types of issues is concerning and inability to understand 
that you have that responsibility and that you failed at it is a problem to me. And more than once. Failed yeah, at it more several, than once. Several circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. And getting um, a little bit dismissive of it as well as um, vehement in your denial of things that were reported about you doesn't show a whole lot of contrition in my estimation. And that's what we're going to talk through some of those and sort of understand, you know, that that concern level about has this guy really learned anything as he seems to try and make it seem that he has, meaning that he should, to Mike Illig's point, uh, Mike Illig's statement, deserve a second chance. Um, so really quickly um, on the history, like I said, Chad covers this really well in his article in the Casey Soccer Journal, as well as on um, his podcast. So please listen to that and uh, read through that information if you need more details. Um, we're going to focus specifically on Wilkinson's stuff as his relation to some of these investigations. So and <laughs> multiple investigations into how he handled domestic violence and sexual abuse claims. That, that, that should be clear. Multiple investigations into how he handled these. That right there should be giant red flag, right? Multiple. And so here we go. Um, he was obviously integral into the hiring of, uh, in his capacity as the Thorns general manager and then president of player personnel, he was integral into the hiring of Paul Riley, who has um, multiple pages I mean, almost 100 pages, I think, is the section on Paul Riley in the Yates report of all of his transgressions and all of the different players they had to interview to learn to get clear detail on his transgressions. Riley was a coach of the Thorns for roughly 18 months, um, all of the 2014 season. And then, oh, no, it was actually two years because he, he went through the 2015 season before they fired him. So two full seasons. He was the the coach of the Portland Thorns when Wilkinson was the um you know, president or GM or whatever his title was there. His his role was overseeing the organization the, in the same role that he is in with Sporting Kansas City now. So um, that was during that time was when in 2015, he was uh, notified by Meliana Shim, known as Mana Shim, that uh, of some of Paul Riley's transgressions towards her. Alleged, I should, I guess, I should have to say, alleged transgressions um, against her. They uh, he, he instituted an investigation via their HR department. A week later, after that investigation was closed, uh, Riley was fired. Um, the Andy Polo incident. So Andy Polo was a fullback that they had signed from Peru. Uh, Polo had just recently. Um, they paid a fairly significant transfer fee for Andy Polo, by the way, I think almost a couple million dollars for a fullback. Um, they will get into that decision-making um, on its face here in a little bit, but he had recently, I think the day before torn his ACL in a match or something like that, um, got uh, cited for domestic violence against his then wife. I don't know if they're married anymore. Um, Thorne's staff, were dispatched to his home. The police, I guess, released Polo to the staff. So the head of security and one of their player personnel people, all these people work underneath Gavin Wilkinson, were, um, were dispatched to his house. They had some lawyer that had represented multiple other Thorns players, like advising 
Polo's then wife. It, it's just a really crazy situation. Um, we'll get into more of the details, but this incident happens in May of 2021. For some reason, Wilkinson decides to pick up Polo's op, his contract option at the end of that season, and then didn't then finally terminated it after Polo's wife went public with all of the domestic violence stuff that had been swept under the rug and not reported. Then MLS finds out about it because it was never reported to the league as is required by the Constitution, and he gets investigated again. Um, or actually, this is the first real investigation because Wilkinson didn't get investigated um, uh, uh, for the Yates report until later. Reportedly, by the way, um, the Timbers ended up paying Polo's contract in full. Just FYI. Uh, the Athletic uh, article comes out in late 2021, September, I think, of 2021. This is Meg Linehan's very long article on Paul Riley. This is a very deep um well-written article by Meg. I, I understand that not everybody can afford subscriptions to everything, but this is one of those ones that if you really want to understand who Paul Riley was, how he coerced and um, sexually mistreated his players, um, it's all there. Um, Mana Shim and Sinead Fairley, who were both members of the Portland Thorns at the time when some of this occurred, as well as uh, Sinead was a, was a player for Paul Riley at previous teams. Um, go, they go through the details of what that was and, um, it's a very, it's harrowing, but it's good, um, context to the type of terrible person that Paul Riley was. And the fact that Wilkinson presided over an environment that enabled him to do those things. Um, that article came out in 2021. According to Wilkinson, he he only found out about some of he the the only issue he was aware of from Riley was the one was the one that he had gotten an email about and that he was shocked to find all of these other things that Riley had done. Whatever. Um, he has a town hall with porn uh, with Timber supporters in April of 2022 after Andy Polo gets released and there's all of this conversation about. Um, the the article in The Athletic and what was going on with the Thorns. And there's an article on that in The Athletic, too, where they got a full audio recording of everything he said. And I'm not going to repeat everything that's in there. Again, I, I would suggest that if you're interested in this information to go read about it, it's all out there. I will just tell you that um, the language that was used in that town hall sounds a hell of a lot like the language he used in the press conference he had with Sporting. You can you can watch the video. It's it's available. Just you know, do a, a simple Google search and you can watch the video. And and you're exactly right that the language is uh, <laughs> it's very uh, you know it's very corporate you know and very um, uh, intentionally obfuscating and nebulous. Um, yeah, extremely nebulous. Not a whole yep. lot of detail. Whole lot of like um, fake newsing kind of things and, mm. and gaslighting. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of like, well, when the facts are fully reported, you'll understand, or blah 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 blah, or the the facts haven't been fully reported, or whatever. Right. And, right. Um, if you notice in the in the press conference that they had with Sporting, someone actually asked, well, what facts haven't been reported, and he would never give any detail on it, and it just sort yeah. of pushed it to the side and sort of distracted with something else. It's a lot of you know, um, distraction and 
gaslighting and yep. whatnot to, to to kind of change the subject or make you think that something that you're asking the question wrong or something you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it, it's a whole lot of deflection um, yeah and it's and it's and it's you know uh it, it's it's so aggravating because you know those facts those facts have never been addressed. There's not even like a, a a counter narrative going on here. It's just like this, the, like this corporate wall, right? It's like you know, the, hiding behind lawyer speak, and 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 you know, we're all familiar with politicians who do it, who say a lot without saying jack shit. And and I mean, that's what he's doing. He's just kind of filibustering and and just saying, you know, using the catchphrases that that people would expect. Um, and, and somehow it's all vacuous. There's nothing behind any of it. And a whole lot of like half measure structural change things that he relate, that he refers to that are supposed to, well, this I'm fixing it by doing this, right. Yeah. Which is like see problem, fix problem, right. It's just sort of that like philosophy. So when, with the town hall relating to the whole situation with Andy Polo's wife and not getting the appropriate legal representation and all these things, he's like, well, I put this office in place for player wives. To contact yeah, yeah that yeah. was his that was that was what he saw was wrong with this that the yep. player's wife didn't have someone to contact that yep. was what he saw was wrong with this not the fact that as his as the as andy polo's employer that they were involved with negotiating with the police over what the hell went down he yep. didn't see that as a problem at all <laughs> he saw the fact that the that andy polo's wife didn't feel like she had the had someone she could contact to help her he saw that as the issue similarly um there's some stuff in the yates report where um and this happened several times the the thorns athletic trainer complained to wilkinson about how um riley was continuing to not follow her um, recommendations as far as like nutrition and uh, recovery and things of that nature and that she was like concerned for the, the, the safety of the players. And she actually yep. brought it up. She's like, you're going to, he's going to injure it. Like several times she brought it up to him. And finally, the third time his, his response was to um, bring in the Timbers trainer and make sure everything had to go through him as well. And it was like, Oh, he's not listening to the woman. So I'll bring a man in to oversee everything. I mean, that's, she's doing. that's what it, that's what it looks like. You know, <laughs> instead of dealing with the issue uh, in a, in a substantive, to way you you know you just sort of paper over it and move on and and do it in a way that diminishes the authority of the trainer that you've hired to run things for the thorns right and like and making her feel less important by bringing a man in over top of her right and it's just it just it shows like a like a just a sort of callous like non-empathetic way to look at managing people Mm-hmm. And um, n- never mind the power dynamic issues and completely under- misunderstanding all of that stuff, which we'll get into a little bit. But it's just like a, it just, yeah, there, there's just this sort of papering over, oh, I'll just put this thing in place and we can move on. Let's move on. I want to move on as quickly as possible. Right. And so there was, all, but yeah, the town hall, there's a whole lot of the same language that you saw in the, in the press conference. And that was the thing that really frustrated me was just hearing the exact same words being used yeah. and knowing that they're just hollow bullshit things. He said, just to, just to check the box here. Look, I did my apology. Right. Yep. 
And um, well, I mean, and also in the town hall, he, you know, he 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 basically throws his veteran players uh, on on uh, on the timbers under the bus, saying that they, you know, they had disagreements about them letting go of of Andy Polo. Um, and you know, one of the players he singles out is Diego Valeri, who you know never even spoke to to Wilkinson about that, and wasn't a um, member of the team when this happened. Right, and, and and but I mean, even if even if he had, it doesn't matter. I mean, like uh, you know. Um, we know from having followed this club in the past, that is not something that you would see, right? Um, uh, uh, Peter Vermes contorts himself in lots of different ways to avoid um, um, naming players and and throwing them under the bus like that. It doesn't happen. And so, the, you know, just the fact that, that he did that is just like, what? I... It's yeah. one of many things, man. One of many, it, it many just, things. He, he, he appears to be someone who has no qualms with saying whatever he needs to say to get the to get the um, spotlight off of him. And and it's not because he's actually done anything positive to affect the 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 situation in a positive way to to remove the spotlight. He's just he'll he'll shift it to somebody else. Right. He'll make it someone else's problem. He'll, you know, anytime that there's a situation where um, something's brought to him where it's, it's, he said, she said, he will deny, deny, deny every single time. If there's not someone else that can corroborate the, the, the quote that's being given about him, he'll deny it and say it never happened. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's just like this, this continued behavior of, of gaslighting and deflecting and whatnot that that has been going on for a long period of time. This isn't new and it's, it's concerning. Um, so Yates report comes out October of 2022 Wilkinson's named in it. I think I, I ran the search function on, on the PDF 50 times. Some of them are in the, um, in the summation in the first, you know, 15 pages. So they're naming him there as well as in the, in the, um, um, actual um meat of the of the of the report but um he's named in it 50 times there's a there's a lot in there again i I covered the stuff where he was um papering over the concerns about riley's um coaching methods and how he was treating players during uh training sessions and whatnot then there's also obviously all of the things that riley did while he was under the employee you're on mute, Cody. I'm so sorry. I just want to point out real quick that that um, you know the, the claiming um, ignorance is uh, doesn't work in this case because you know as um, as the chief soccer officer or whatever his title was at that time, he no doubt. Um, um, went to practice sessions and it's not like Riley was hiding this behavior. Like he was a raging asshole to everybody. Um, and, um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like at at some point, um, uh, that has to, you know, at least raise some flags, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we don't, we don't live in the eighties in Bobby nighttime anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's I, it's I, and and this is this is you know 2015. This isn't 1985, right? Yeah, and, and I exactly. Think, and, and I'm not saying that that 19 either one of those is good or you know, but we I'm saying that it's it's become more clear that we've evolved and and you that first of all 
those methodologies are not good at getting the best out of athletes. We know this. No, we know this from the, from the psychology of it. It's actually worse. It's for most players. It's actually worse. Yep. That you get worse performance out of them by treating them in this way. Um, but even taking that out of it, there's just we we know this is this is not the, the not the right way to treat people. And so yeah, I mean the ignorance part of it. I, even if he were to claim ignorance, I don't care. Your job was to run this organization and to have a grasp on what's going on and not to just sort of um, stick your head in the clouds and act like everything's fine. And I think that, and I think that that that's the part of it that that's frustrating to me is this sort of like he, he said in the press conference, and I know we're jumping around a little bit on the timeline, but he said in the press conference over and over and over again, the one thing he was apologizing for, this is the only thing he apologized for, but the one thing he did actually apologize for was failing to empower the female athlete. First of all, I don't know what the fuck that even means. It's the dumbest shit in the world, honestly. Seriously. <laughs> but secondly, that's the most backhanded fucking apology I've ever heard in my life. So basically yeah. he's saying, you didn't feel comfortable telling me that these bad things were going on. And that's why I didn't know. So that was my fault. Yeah. That That it's is the, what he's uh, taking. That's it's what he. It's victim like blaming, back, basically. It's, yeah, it's victim blaming. Exactly. It, it, he's he's making it their fault that they didn't tell him and the only thing he owns is that he didn't make it easier for them to tell him that is all he's taking accountability for in all of this and that's a frustrating thing to to square when we're talking about someone who is going to have a lot of control who's going to be interacting with a lot of women in that organization and the only thing that he feels that he's got any type of culpability for is not making it easier for them to feel comfortable talking to him about problems. That's gross. Yeah. So uh, I want to go back real quick to the, to the Andy Polo thing and, um, and just point out that, you know, the MLS investigated uh, that incident and they, they basically found that there wasn't any sort of systematic uh, effort by Wilkinson and the, and uh, the Timbers to, um, um, you know, to, to obfuscate, um, uh, or hide the issue, but, uh, but they did, you know, say that they, they didn't follow the rules. They didn't apparently didn't know the rules. Right. So, so they're claiming incompetence instead of, uh, you know, uh, malicious intent, but, but, but this is your like chief soccer officer, right? Um, this is the person who should know those rules. Like he gets paid to know those rules. Um, and so, so even (laughs) like, like even if we take him for his word, um, uh, it still is, uh, is a terrible look for, uh, someone in that position. Totally agree. And it, it, and what we're trying to maybe, and we'll get to this when we get towards the summation of, of this conversation, but we're trying to lay the groundwork here for everyone listening is, a guy who's kind of bad at his job, right? Like he's inept. He's not good at it. And uh, the reason that we're doing that is because we were fed this line of bullshit in the press conference that he was the best candidate for this job and that he has a history of success in it. That is complete bullshit. That is not true. That is substantively not true. And that's what we're trying to make very clear as we go through all of these things. Um, Okay, so Yates report comes out in in October of 2022. 
all that gets told in the Yates report about Paul Riley outside of the um, trainer's uh, um, testimony regarding, you know, the, the uh, way that he was treating players and training and whatnot, the stuff that's in the Yates report about Riley's tenure in Portland was all stuff that Portland already knew about. They did the, they did the investigation after Monashim sent the email to Paulson and Wilkinson and Jeff Plush at the end Jeff Plush was the NWSL commissioner at the time and Sunil Galati. And I think um, the HR director uh, at the thorns at the time, they had just hired this HR person. And so she sent that information with the help of Alex Morgan, by the way, Alex Morgan used a lot of her clout to help get Mana heard um, in several circumstances along the lines along this line um this was all all the stuff that's in the yates report was all stuff that they knew they knew it from this investigation they did and so it's not new data it's just confirmed via sally q yates former assistant assistant attorney general that um you know worked with a law firm to do all this and they and then as soon as the Yates report came out, Wilkinson gets fired. Bro, you all knew about this shit for a while. Yep. So it shows that you knew it was wrong. Yep. Because as the, soon, and, and the, as, soon the as it only... came to light, as soon as it came to light, you fired Wilkinson. So, like, come on now. Like, come on. The only reason for the Yates report is because is that uh uh, Riley was in running for uh, the man- management job for the U.S. women's national team, and a lot of those players, uh, um, you know, spoke out and right. uh, and relayed some of these concerns. The athletic article is really what caught, started the Yates report, right? right. Like the, when 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 Sinead Fairley and Manashim uh, gave all of their uh, interview information to Meg Linehan, that was when quote unquote shit hit the fan regarding a lot of this behavior. And that's when it became very clear that, the, and then there was some other stuff in there. There's stuff about Richie Burke. There's, there's mm-hmm. other things in the Yates report outside of Paul Riley. Right. But there was a systemic issue across NWSL of um, coaches acting inappropriately to coaches sexually abusing their players in Paul Riley's case and going, going across that spectrum of inappropriate behavior that um, was sort of being swept under the rug and kept quiet because of uh, per- perceived um, concern about the health of the league and not and, and a big scandal like this hurting the league. That there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And you can, again, this is all in the athletic article that Meg wrote. I, I suggest you read it so you should sort of understand the dynamics that, that are going on there. Um, but all of this get started because of Megan Linehan's article. And then they spend the next year investigating NWSL does their own investigation along with uh, U.S. soccer. The, the AIDS report comes from U.S. soccer's um, funding of, of this investigation. At any rate, when it, when it becomes clear that Gavin Wilkinson presided over all of this nonsense, he gets fired as he should, but he <laughs> candidly should have been fired in 2015 when they found all of this information. Yeah. And additionally, when he presided over 
that investigation. They did a seven day investigation. Apparently all that the HR person did was investigate the veracity of Manashim's specific claim about the one night that they went to the bar out uh, near uh, the, the t- thorns and timber stadium. Um, when Riley convinced them to go back to his apartment and started doing inappropriate things with them and asking them to kiss, to get out of a, uh, um, out of a drill the next day and just did a bunch of ridiculous stuff. Um, there, all of that, that's all they investigated. They didn't go, wait, is this, wait, this sounds pretty crazy that, that Paul Riley would do this. Is this, he wouldn't just do this out of nowhere, right? <laughs> like this isn't the first time. If he convinced two players to come back to his house, offered them more alcohol and got them to, and started getting, asking them to dance with him and kiss each other. This is not something he's done for the first time. Like any idiot well, can tell you it, that, right? I mean, even if it was, I mean, it's, it's inexcusable and no, he should have been, he should have been fired right on the spot. I mean, that's he, ridiculous. And, well, and he was, as soon as, as soon as they investigated him, they did fire him, although they swept the reasons why under the rug for, right. this is where Wilkinson says he would stand on his own two feet and not, not, um, um, follow legal advice. And listen, I'm not, I'm not an EEO lawyer. I don't know. You know, they can you can get into slander related um, claims and Paul Riley's a, not a uh, uh, poor person. So I, I, I guess from that perspective, maybe that's and, and every lawyer is going to do that. Don't get yourself into a place where you could get sued. That's what they're going to tell you. Every lawyer will always tell you that. Um, but my point is, Wilkinson, to your, to, you said it earlier, he cannot claim ignorance here. He saw this guy in action regularly was quite aware of the style of coach that he was and then sees like we can evaluate people, right? You, you interact with somebody enough times, you know, what kind of person they are. And then when you hear this claim of him, like having this very inappropriate thing back at his house between, between the players and getting them drunk and paying for their drinks and doing all this stuff, which was fairly common activity. He would, he would use alcohol to um to get the players in a mental state where he could get control over them and get them to do stuff and we're talking about you know in a lot of circumstances you know 20 to 24 25 year old um women he's in his 50s and it's just a it's just like a it's a really bad power dynamic and and especially as their coach he's deciding whether they get to play or not Sinead Fairley and Manashim are kind of on the fringes of this team, because this is a Thorns team that was very stacked. This is when Alex Morgan was there. Megan Klingenberg had, was still playing for the national team at the time. They had a number of really big, I think Megan Rapino was on the team at the time. They had a lot of like really, really um, big time women's national team players on there. So he was, you know, there, there's a bad, bad look here just from being able to control these players that are not quite as popular or right. They don't have the cachet to push back on certain things, but still Wilkinson knew who this guy was. Yeah. Did not investigate anything other than exactly what was, um, he was accused of. Didn't go, Hey, has this been, has this been happening to more people? When Sinead Farrelly was interviewed to corroborate Manashim's story, they never asked her about any other, stuff they never said hey has this is this is this common that's that seems like the first question that i would ask is like 
is this the first time something like this has happened? Yeah, you know, at some point, uh, I think pretty early on, it's it's obvious that if you don't know what's going on, it's because you really don't want to know, right? Yeah, uh, because Riley is a is a successful coach, and um, and you know he is he's part of the Old Boys Network, and and people know him, and and uh, have pre-existing relationships with him and you're just going to let him do what, what he wants. Um, and you know, the less you know about it, the better. Yep. It's pretty clear that that's what was happening. And, and speaking of the old boys network, that brings us to the last part of the timeline. Yeah. Which is sporting Kansas city after, um, 15 months unemployed hires him to become a sporting Kansas city's new sporting director. And I say good old boys network because Vermeers was very clear during the press conference how long they've known each other and how much yep. they have very similar thoughts about soccer and yep. da, 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 da. and it's like yeah here we go yeah <laughs> another dude gets a free pass because he happens to know everybody and you know gets put in front of what was what we were told was fourteen candidates that the executive search firm they hired found. Yeah, um, I think there were three main ones in the finals that that, that uh, the athletic reported on. Um, I, Sporting never corroborated this, but the athletic reported that the, he was um, um, in the final three. The other two were um, Marrera from uh, Orlando City, and then the GM from Red Bulls. Right, those were the those were the three. I don't have all their names right in front of me, but um, yeah, feels a whole lot like hey, we know this guy and. We know he's a good guy, so and yeah, he won some stuff. For me, specifically, talked about how he was like winning; they, their teams were winning um, and beating Sporting at the time. Right, 2015 was a double post year. Um, 2018 was when Blanco scored the goal, the golazo at the in the Western Conference Finals to put them through to the final. You remember that when they then they played? Yeah, the yeah, Drew, I remember. This <laughs> this podcast is painful enough. You don't have to bring that up as well. Uh, but I mean, and then they won the MLS's back tournament. I don't know if that means much of anything. No, it what, doesn't mean anything. The one thing I will say about Portland's teams during Wilkinson's um, time overseeing them, uh, the Timbers specifically, is that they were good in knockout tournaments. That that was definitely true. That had um, more to do with the style of play uh, than I think the 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 quality of their players. Exactly, I agree completely. They they had a they had a format that worked very well for those turn for those types of competitions because they were never better than third in the conference in any of those seasons. Uh, in fact, Sporting finished ahead of them several times. Yeah. Um, well, just and just so we're clear, it, it's really easy to to have a. a a, a successful soccer team when you have Diego Valeri and Diego Chara on your team and Sebastian Blanco and Sebastian Blanco. Yes. Um, he did very well on those three signings. I don't know that I can say much about the rest of the signings that he made, but he did very well on those three. Yeah. Um, anyway. So that's where we, we end up uh, last Thursday is this press conference. So let's get into that. Um, so Thursday morning, that's when the bombshell drops. Uh, I think it was Pablo Maurer. Was it with Bogart or not? I don't remember. Um, but Pablo Maurer, I know was a part of this, um, uh, breaking news that 
Sporting was going to hire Gavin Wilkinson as its new sporting director. Um, that came out Thursday morning. I do not my my read of the situation. This is this is where Drew's going to just spout some opinions here. They are reasonably informed opinions, just from the people that I've been able to interact with about this. Um, that I'm not going to name anybody because I'm not putting their names out here and tying them to any of this stuff. But the people that I've been able to talk to about this, from what it appears, is that there was no intent to make that announcement on Thursday. There, the the leak is what caused the announcement to happen. Um, so. I'm not sh- which is which is something you and I discussed off pod before we started, which I think is fairly interesting, at least from a structural standpoint. Sporting Kansas City is not a team that leaks. They do not have. I mean, we find out about when they when they're signing a player. We find out about it an hour beforehand because someone in comms has given Sperry a heads up. Hey, news is coming. Right. Like that, that's when we find out about it. When there's organizational change, when any of that stuff is, it's like we get a tweet from Sperry, hey, two hours, you're going to, something's happening. Or there's an announcement coming soon. You know what I mean? And that's when he's given the heads up on it so we can prep an article or whatever that they want to do. But that's about as early as we find out about things. In the rare, uh, the only rare circumstance where that's not the case is when for some reason Twelman gets it. I think he knows Mike Illig enough that sometimes Illig throws him a bone and tells him some stuff. I've heard. I've heard Twelman bring up things on broadcast that nobody knows before. Um, so that that's the probably the one exception to it. But this team doesn't leak information. They certainly don't leak information like this, and to, that will catch the whole organization out. So I find that interesting. Um, I also feel fairly confident in saying that very few people knew about this within Sporting Kansas City. There was not a whole lot of um, of communication to organization employees about this decision at the point that the athletic article leaked. A lot of people found out about it when the article came out. And I'm talking Sporting Kansas City employees. A lot of them found out about it when the article came out. So I find that an interesting thing to consider given the fact that it was leaked in the first place um, as to who the heck leaked it. It had to have been someone fairly high up the food chain that was not very pleased about it. Cause I mean, you're, you're subverting the whole process by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a really interesting uh, uh, point and um it just adds to the uh, honestly it just adds to the frustration with everything right i mean uh it just seems like a uh, um at minimum a poorly thought through um hire um and you know and actually probably more to the point it's a hire that really um does not take into account um the 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 fan base and the the knowledge that Kansas City soccer uh, fans have and it and it doesn't take into account um, the you know the, the the feelings and the thoughts of of the the female sporting Kansas City fans um, 
You know what? It's just like it's just like it's just it's just mind blowing. I can't. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop real quick. Stop you real quick there. It's it's even more insidious than not taking it into account. It's not dismiss. It's not like oh, I yeah. forgot about yeah. that. I yeah. wasn't aware of that. It's That's just, not what happened here. Thing it's they not important. Knew. They fucking knew. <laughs> you yeah. see how the you see how the freaking announcement went out? It was like a graphic that just said technical staff update on it. Yeah. That was it. You had to yeah. click into the link to even find out what the hell it meant. Yeah. I promise you there's a bunch of fans out there that aren't near as plugged in as we are that have no idea what that was. Yeah. I had a buddy of mine text me and go, what does this mean? This guy we hired. And I had to clue him in because it's just like a lot of people just aren't that plugged into all of this stuff. They, But they knew that what they were doing was going to be poorly received. They did it anyway. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's much more insidious than, than um, sort of being um, naive or, um, yeah. you know, dismissive. You're, you're right. Of, that gives uh, them too much, way too much credit. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's way too kind or ignorant of it. Yeah. They, they, there was no ignorance here. No, it was complete 100% awareness and they tried to fucking hide it and obscure it as much as possible. Yeah. And, and that's the part that that's, man, that's a hard thing for me. That's a hard thing for me to like square. So yeah, it, I I put it in the rundown, the hubris. Like, it's a fair amount of hubris to just be like, we can do whatever the fuck we want. And in fairness, they sold fucking Arrowhead out already. Yeah. Like, I think that there is an opinion there, and I and Zach Cobb uh, mentioned it. Uh, he meant he put it, I put on paper something that's been in my head for several days, which is, um, are they banking on the fact that this is a vocal minority issue and that, you know, by and large, the, the larger fan base will overlook it. I mean, given, uh, I mean, it's not even, it's not even just the larger fan base. I mean, given the sort of tepid response from, from the cauldron and, uh, South stand, um, folks, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I expected much more, uh, fire from those two, um, uh, groups of supporters. Yeah. I mean, so I, let, let me, let I, me talk I, about I, that a little bit. Right, I and I understand, I understand why they would, you know, they would proceed with caution, but I mean, come on. Yeah, I think, so first thing I'm going to say is this, um, and I said this on the discord as well. If you're getting mad at the Calder and the South span, you're misplacing your anger at the wrong people. 100%. 100%. Okay. Like I understand why you want them to be louder and say the things that you think in a more, in a more, um, uh, in a stronger way and and with more colorful language and, and, and making it clear your uh, distaste for what's going on. I understand why you would want that. And I, and I get why people are frustrated with it. Um, like I said, that said, this is exactly what the club wants. They want you pointing your fingers at somebody else other than them. The, the, this distraction, like w by doing this and by putting a bunch of uh, um, related groups to Sporting Kansas City under pressure for that. Now you're focusing your energy on something that is not them. Right. And I think that that that, that lets 
the club a little bit off the hook. I don't know if off the hook is the right word, but it certainly diminishes for a moment. The yeah, it relieves, it relieves a little bit of the pressure on them for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and so for, so for that point, I would say, Hey, just make sure you know that you're mad at the right people. Yeah. Secondly, um, there is unfortunately, and this has been true of both the South stand and the cauldron. And this is something we've talked about for the last couple of years, the changes in leadership in those groups and, um, the um, professionalism of those people and how to deal with scenarios like this, I think is, is probably like the experience levels they have for doing that kind of stuff, as well as the um, level of um, sort of corporate professionalism that exists inside of Sporting Kansas City now versus in say 2013 when a lot of our friends were board members on the cauldron and interacting with the club it's just different um and i think that there is a bit there's a power dynamic issue there where the executives of the club understand and know how to manipulate those situations to their advantage and i don't think volunteer board members of supporters groups necessarily have um, that level of experience in dealing with those situations and how to push back effectively to get what they want. Right. And yeah. the, the, the thing is, is like, I think that this, the, what, what has been happening lately is that the leadership of sporting Kansas city understands that the supporters groups need them more than they need the supporters groups. And that is a problem. And they're using that power dynamic to their advantage. And so there's a very, um, there's a very tenuous relationship between the two. And I think that there's a concern on the supporters group leadership side about pissing off leadership at sporting. Yeah. And I would say that, that, I mean, I think those are good points uh, proceeding under the guise of, 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 corporate professionalism um, is is a big part of what got us all to this point in the first place. Um, and, and at some point, right, you, you can't hide behind that. You have, uh, pe- people have to, you know, step up and do the right thing, um, you know, and, and this is exactly what Wilkinson didn't do. Wilkinson, right. Wilkinson used uh, the timbers and the thorns to a, a, maybe, uh, an extent to shield himself from um, from from accountability yeah i i i don't i don't debate any of those things i just think that um there's an imbalance in power between the supporters groups and the leadership of the club right now and i don't know that they know how to quote unquote take the power back no it's clear that they don't and and they're they're struggling with the best way to go about that um i also think and, and I don't know, I don't know specifically, so I want to be, uh, I want to be clear about this too. I don't know specifically what type of communication the Cauldron Board or the South Stand Board has had with their uh, members and where that, um, where that divide is ideologically. And I think that I, there is something that has to be said for um, I think that you and I and many, many other 
current and former Cauldron members have shared views on this situation. I don't know if the Cauldron leadership is concerned with does it, you know, are they alienating people who don't share those views? In my mm-hmm. opinion, that doesn't matter. But what I would say is, I mean, I, I, I don't think it matters. You do the right thing. And if people are on the wrong side of this, they can go pound sand. But what I do think when you're talking about a organization of dues paying members, you have to ensure that you are being a, you're, you're positioning the group effectively for all of your membership. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and to be very honest, um, my wife and I, I mean, we haven't yet decided how we're going to uh, approach the issue. Um, but I mean, I, I, it's a serious enough thing that everything is on the table, including yeah. giving up our, our season tickets. And, and that's a, um, you know, that's, I mean, you know, you and I have a podcast about this, this club, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, a huge thing. And, um, it would make me just exceedingly, um, sad and disappointed to have to do that. But, um, but that's kind of where we're at, right? I mean, we are definitely contemplating that because, um, we can't in good faith, um, support a club that, um, that does something like this. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's really just, <laughs> it's just despicable, man. It, it is a, a really grotesque thing, uh, to have done. And, um, and, and, and they have proven it in the way that they've, you know, just fumbled, um, um, handling, you know, all of the, uh, uh reporting and all of the, uh, the media that goes along with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw Robo um, standing there. They, uh, they KSHB had done the live stream of it, and I think the mm-hmm. video is now on Sporting's website. It's buried somewhere, but it's there. Um, and I saw uh, Rob Thompson, Robo, uh, standing there afterward, and you could just see it on his face, like just how drained he was. I mean, for the guys you don't know, who Rob is uh, Robo's the he's the VP of communications. He's been with the team since like '97. He's been the communications leader uh, in the organization ever since then. So, um, yeah, I think that um, the I think that a lot of things got scrambled together for the press conference um, as a result of the leak, and that a bunch of people were ill-equipped and not ready to deal with the situation, which also shows a whole lot of ignorance and more hubris that they thought that they wouldn't that it wouldn't get out and they'd be able to just roll this into the 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 Friday news cycle and let it roll over the weekend. Like I yeah. think that's what they plan to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I and the the hubris involved there is pretty significant. Um let's talk really quickly. Let's talk about you know why this happened. Like why did Sporting need to hire this person? And there are legitimate reasons that a hire needed to happen in this position. We have discussed, we discussed most of last year, how Peter Vermees had too much stuff on his plate, had too much control, had too much power. It was not appropriate. They had, you know, Mike Jacobs left in like 2018 to go uh, be the chief soccer officer at Nashville SC. And then uh, an underrated one that not many people are talking about or understanding, but Megan Cameron leaving to go to enter Miami in 2021. Um, Megan Cameron was someone, and most people don't know who she is, but she was hired from the MLS office in 2017 to be their cat person. She was actually in MLS from 2010 to 2017. She was in the MLS front office managing contracts for 
basically every player. So like she understood how cap charges worked, all those kinds of things. It was actually a big coup for sporting to hire her away from the front office to do a lot of their cap management. And then obviously Mike Jacobs was doing all the roster management. Neither of those posts has been filled since then. So Vermees has been doing all of it along with coaching the team. So I, I, there is absolutely a clear argument as to why someone was needed to be put in this position. I completely agree with Mike Gillig when he says, you know, we normally do this analysis at the end of the season. We did it mid season this year based on how poor the results were. This is when we decided that Peter would stay on for the rest of the year. We could see a potential growth pattern and it did pan out. Um, but we also found that we needed to remove some of his response, you know, a limit, limit some of his responsibility or limit some of the tax on his time. Right. So that we could have a more well-run organization. I agree with, and I think I said that infinitely better than, than Illig actually did in his statement, man, goodness gracious. Um, but those are all things that I can understand why they chose this fucking guy. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Even if you, so like this guy has been a train wreck as an organizational leader throughout his career. Okay. It's clear. Like we have too, too many examples of him fumbling the bag. Right. And, and not only that, but like, Allowing mistreatment to happen, standing up for guys who were sexual abusers, like even he spends a bunch of time in the press conference um, doing this shit that he did in the town hall where he's very vehemently denying the actual language that was used about him recommending Paul Riley, you know, would hire him in a heartbeat, was put in a bad position. These quotes that are in the Yates report that are secondhand, they're from Jeff, uh, Jeff Plush email. So like I get what, you know, and it's, it's very easy for him to do a hearsay argument related to that. So in a court of law, is it hearsay? Yes. But as Chad noted on his podcast and in his article, and this is something he and I discussed before he wrote that article, there is an interview that Wilkinson gives to the Yates team where he admits that he recommend that he recommended uh Riley or he told Aaron Lyons that he would rehire him if he could. Yeah. He told Aaron Lyons that would he would rehire Paul Riley if he could. That's like in the testimony that he gave to the Yates team. So all, all he's doing is arguing about semantics, the right? The, the, yeah, la- he's the specific the language. Of the language. He's not. He, he's not arguing about his intent. And he's not coming out and saying no. I. I, I specifically. Uh, um, I specifically discouraged uh, other clubs from hiring him. He definitely did not do that. <laughs> no. Not only did he not discourage, he encouraged. Yeah. Maybe he didn't use the exact words that are attributed to him by Jeff Plush, but he use some words to that effect and admitted as much that he did it. And so this is what I'm talking about. Like he's, he's doing this weird, like semantical sort of hiding shit argument that, um, that allows him to distract you from the fact that you haven't even really gotten after the the key point here, which is he admitted to doing this and hasn't apologized for it. He apologized for not empowering the female athlete and not doing enough to ensure that Riley didn't get another job or standing on his own two feet and following legal advice, blah, 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 like the, that nonsense. Um, 
Well, he the, keeps saying like the truth hasn't come out, but like, dude, feel truth? free, like, yeah. feel free. You're, you have an open you're, forum. You're the one. You're, you have an like, open forum. <laughs> you keep we're saying all, that you're the one that supposedly has the true the true account of shit. We're so all, all we're we're all oh. sitting here waiting. You're here. This is your opportunity to give us the truth. Doesn't do it. It's just it's gaslighting, man. It's it's not real. And when it all comes down to it, he was the guy in power. Okay. He is the guy that had the power to protect these women. It was his yeah. duty yeah. as the leader of that organization to protect these women. He failed at his job into a significant degree that caused significant harm to multiple players on his team. He put them in this position where Paul Riley could abuse I mean, not, the, not, the, it's the power not just dynamic. harm, not just harm. I mean, it's 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 a, a lifelong trauma. It's just right. It's gross, man. And so, like, to not accept his culpability in fostering this environment, like to just put it off as this, you know, I didn't empower the female athlete. That's all he saw. It makes me really, really suspicious that he's learned anything. No, it's obvious that he hasn't. And and just like it's obvious that he does not have, you know, uh, he doesn't have the facts to back up his claims up. If he did, we would know them, right? If he did, you know, instead of instead of calling a press conference, they would have called in, you know, Sam McDowell and, and Daniel Sperry or or maybe even uh, Pablo Maurer, and they would have had a sit down, a, a, a you know, long professional interview, uh, clearing, you know clearing the air and making putting all the cards on the table but that's not what happened at all it was just it was just a continuation of all the shit that he was doing in portland it's just a continuation of of just you know talking in circles and doing whatever he he can to to avoid accountability in that moment so he can move on and 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 you know do his shit and it just it just speaks to me that he's a poor organizational leader yeah he doesn't accept responsibility he doesn't he doesn't actually recognize his own faults and how to correct them. Yeah. He and and he's bad at his job. So like yeah. not only is he a poor let's, organizational let's leader that. that lets a bunch of other stuff, he's not good at his job. Okay. Yeah. What are the what are the two key things that he is going to be in charge of at Sporting Kansas City? First is the roster building of the roster is going to be his job, right? Signings, recruitment, all of that thing going to be his job, right? And the second thing, let's go there first, because this is the easiest one to cross off as an absolute fucking nightmare is he's going to be in charge of the second team in the Academy. Noted, noted stalwart of the Portland Timbers system, their Academy. Do they even have any homegrown players? Do they even have an academy? I mean, I, they're just one of those teams. They're, they they're one of those clubs that's never invested in it at all. Ever. It's never been a priority from the, them, and that the comes all the way from Merritt Paulson. They never had an academy when they were in USL. They had to have an academy at one point. MLS required them to have one, and that's the only reason they have one. There's yeah. all kinds of stories about how terrible the academy is, and kids don't want to play in it because of yep. how bad it is and how sort of holier-than-thou their um, academy coaches are and whatnot. And like, It's just not a good place to play. So yeah, the, the, 
historically well, he, I, in that case he might fit right in you know yeah well but that's probably why they have that that freaking right. mindset yeah so yeah they're 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 homegrown and academy um yeah but yeah that's you're right like you know having no homegrowns in a poor academy i mean you know that's been sporting for five years so i guess that you know we'll just keep doing that um and then from a, a player recruitment and roster building perspective, Portland has signed a lot of players for significant transfer fees. That doesn't mean it's been good. Um, all their acquisition strategies all outside the league. They sign a lot of internationals. Um, they rarely do any business inside the league. So again, this is where they fit right in, right? I mean, Burmese rarely does business inside the league. All of their acquisition comes from, it comes externally. So maybe that's part of the reason why it's such a, you know, they think it's quote unquote, a good fit um, is because, you know, there's ideological uh, roster construction stuff that, that is directly in line with what Burmese has been doing. So he'll just have a yes man. I mean, and this, this was something that was brought up. I forget which podcast it was. I don't know if it was the shades of blue guys or if it was um, for the glory, but they, you know, there was a conversation about did Vermes do this because he was forced to do it. And I do believe that he was like, he was, he was told you're going to hire someone to do roster management. You can't do all this yourself anymore. We're going to hire somebody you'll be involved and they'll report to you, but we're putting someone in this role. Did he hire some, you know, um, yes man that's just so happy to have a fucking job that'll do whatever he says i mean yes. that might that that very well is 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 it's plausible right it's certainly plausible um regardless let's let's talk through this guy's supposed wonderful experience as a as a as a um as a roster manager in uh portland um i'm not the the biggest the biggest signing that portland has ever made was evander um from the danish super league uh that guy signed three months after wilkinson was fired so what maybe he was involved in the recruitment maybe he wasn't but i'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt he's not giving us any of the benefit of the doubt so he's definitely not getting any benefit of the doubt from me so we're not going to even call evander his signing the next biggest signing well, and, and 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 just to be clear like evander uh he seems like a good player with a lot of potential but he is not um like he's not that, right? He's not he's not like Danny Bowanga yet, right? He's not a so he's ten not million like, dollar guy, right? I mean, uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a, he, he's he's an he's an eight who thinks he's a ten, and uh, you know, and spending ten million dollars on an eight in 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 uh, MLS is is a choice for sure. Yeah. Um, so the next biggest signing they made in league in their in the in the Timbers history, remember this guy Brian Fernandez. I do not. You don't remember I, him. You know why? He only played for one year. The guy had a long history of substance abuse Oh, is that the guy issues. from Mexico? Yep. Yeah. Okay. He had yeah, a long yeah. history of him. substance abuse issues. Yeah. Had gotten suspended twice for uh, yeah. popping positive for cocaine. At Oof. the end of the first season with Portland, popped positive. They don't say what, but he popped positive for something. We can assume that it's cocaine. He had to go in the substance abuse and behavioral I mean, health program. Portland, in Portland, it could be a, like anything. So, you know, maybe. Well, I mean, well... <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, I guess weed wasn't legal in Portland at that point, but anyway, um, still he popped for something. He went, he went into the substance abuse and behavioral health program as a result of it. And they like voided his contract. 
So nice job, nine million dollars. <laughs> that was a great signing. I, I don't know if you remember, they actually sued Nakaxa to try and get their transfer fee back. I don't know if they ever did. I guess there were some outs in that whole deal regarding what, his performance and whatnot. But who knows? I mean, getting money out of Liga Emeki's teams, especially ones like Nakaxa, yeah, in real easy. <laughs> nice <Good> try. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. Okay. Um, okay. So the next two biggest signings, they're tied at four and a half million euros. First one, Sebastian Blanco, obviously. Great signing. We all agree that he was a great signing for, for Portland. What year was that? 2016. Okay. In the summer of 2015, they signed Lucas Milano. <laughs> Who? Yes. Same <laughs> amount of money, $4.5 million. <laughs> Lucas Milano is signed. He spent the vast majority of his Portland career on loan. He was signed from a different. So this was so Lucas Milano was their first attempt at signing us a, a really good Argentinian player, um, and then they signed Sebastian Blanco the next season. Uh, so Milano was a was one of their very. I mean, there have been several failed attempts at signing a center forward at, at Portland. So Brian yeah. Fernandez, Lucas Milano, uh, who spent like I said, majority of his career on loan. I think he ended up with a total of like fifty games over four seasons. Um, and never more than a couple hundred minutes. Um, yeah, never panned out anything. Um, similarly, Yaroslav Nizgoda, who have just had his, who was another $4 million transfer fee for center forward that did nothing, um, is currently without a team with a torn ACL. Um, yeah, that, let's see. Uh, David Ayala, this is the young, the U22 player that they signed in 2021 who has played a total of 800 minutes since 2021. Great U-22 signing. Uh, Jimmy Chara, Diego Chara's brother, $3 million spent to to unite the Chara brothers. The the lesser Chara. Significantly lesser (laughs) Chara. They've they've already moved on from him, and he's off in Brazil now. Uh, Santiago Moreno. He's a guy we see pop up in games, but I don't know. TBD. TBD, not really sure. Um, two or three million dollar uh, transfer fee for him, Andy Polo. We've mm-hmm. talked about how that went. I, like, I, I've gone through a lot here. Um, there have been three players amongst that top twelve that were good: Diego Chara, Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri. The other nine were either partial failures or total failures. And they total up to, well, let's take Evander out of there. We said we were going to take him out of there. So, I don't know, about $30, $32 million in transfer fees. It's great. <laughs> this guy's great at his job, though. I've heard it. I heard it in the press conference. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Just feels like the 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 that uh, sporting just served us all up a big shit sandwich, man. And this is like, what I said at the beginning. It felt it feels so unnecessary. Yeah. Like why? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Literally anybody. Literally, literally anybody. Right. I mean, I mean, you could you could sign. You know, 
literally anybody and nobody would have any idea who the person was if they were good at their job whatever they could sign, but, they could sign I mean, paul mcdonough is paul mcdonough been reinstated by mls yet he's I, the guy I, that got caught cheating in miami i know i don't think he has <laughs> but they could have signed paul mcdonough and it would have gone over better than this like i just i'm sorry i don't mean to make light i, I gotta have some sort of like levity in this situation because the thing is so it's so like hard I mean, shit. It, it put, feels like put, shit and everything about this feels bad. And I just, I'm put, like, put Sasanovic or Matt Beasler. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like put somebody else in there and I, and you don't have to deal with all this. Like it, you're right. It's so unnecessary. It's just an absolutely absurd way uh, to, to handle a club. I, I, I it's, <laughs> it's just so frustrating, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really just, beside myself i just have no idea what to do i i'm just spinning around in circles with this whole thing it is it is really bad any way you look at it it's um it's yeah. terrible there's there's no like there's no silver lining on this at all yeah i i mean i'm not gonna sit here and tell anyone how they should go forward from this or how they should deal with it whether they should go to games whether they should not go to games whether they should um, protest during games. What I, I think, I think it's um, up to everyone's individual um, decision making as to how they handle it. And I don't think, and just like I said about the cauldron, yeah. um, because just because you are or are not as fervent in your distaste for what's going on, does not mean that you're the person that needs to have fingers pointed at it. It. And I think it needs to be the people who made this decision that you need to be directing your ire towards. Um, but I, I mean, I'm right with you. Like it's sucked anything fun out of this. Like we do this, look, we do this podcast every week. Part of it is because you and I really enjoy talking to each other about soccer. We like getting into the nuance of the game and, and, and analyzing it and nerding out about it and providing some context to what we see. But also, it's just an enjoyment thing for us. We're not making money on this podcast. This is not something that we're like. You is know, that a thing? Can, can money be made for podcasts? <laughs> I mean, we can turn ads on. I don't know how much money it would actually make. It might no. pay for the Streamyard subscription. That's about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is a this is a passion project for us. This is nothing to do with with um making money or or anything like that and we appreciate the people that listen and we get to interact with as a result of it that have similar you know viewpoints and mindset on the team that that we can converse with and and just all of the additional sort of community that exists as a result of it and all that's just been taken away and and like i said at the beginning it pales in comparison to the um the people for which this is especially triggering because of events that have occurred to them or people in their lives that have had abusive things happen to or uh, any and that's, of those kinds and, of things. And, and drew that's a lot of people like you know yeah. like it's 50 percent of women have experienced sexual assault right and mm-hmm. and 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 so you are basically you know turning your back on on those people Right. Right. And saying that and saying that their concerns don't matter to you because, you know, this is a. Um, if, if you it, it it's a it's a it's a the details of this uh, of all the context surrounding this 
are super triggering. And uh, I, I don't want anybody to have to go through that. And they shouldn't be, they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't be subjected to this. Uh, the club, it, it, I mean, it's a shameful act to, to really um, force your fan base to have to deal with this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I can say it any better. And and I, like I said, it it that that is the most insidious part of this it is the knowledge that you're doing that to these people and you don't care. I, I mean, or that your belief that this guy is going to help you sign some better players is, is worth more to you. Yeah. And, um, this is something that you and I have discussed offline a little bit. Um, kind of our concerns around the club becoming a business. And I, I, you and I even made, um, you know, gave them a pass last week when we talked about the thing at Arrowhead, that the club is a big business and we need to understand that. And that our, our interpersonal relationship with the club is not going to be the same, the bigger it gets. And I, I get all of those things, but this feels, this is obviously significantly different than that. And something you and I've discussed a lot is that we feel like there's been a noticeable downturn over the last five years with regards to that feeling, right? We're, we're getting more and more into this corporatized, um, you know, business speak kind of philosophy for how the club is managed. And it's, you know, quote unquote, being managed professionally by, you know, executives with experience in these areas and whatnot. And and it's natural that that kind of thing is going to happen. But what it also means is that the um, personal relationship that people have with this is going away. And you've basically stomped all over it with this decision. And a lot of it seems to, I don't, I'm, this is a correlation causation thing for me, but I brought this up to you, but a lot of it seems to coincide with when Neil died. Um, that 2017 year when he passed was the last year the club won a trophy. Um, since that time, you can see, as far as an ownership group is concerned, that most of the control has kind of moved to Mike Illig. For those of you guys that don't know Mike, he was he was the one that gave the first statement at the beginning of the press conference that, goodness gracious, can we get this guy a freaking communications person to help him write a speech? Because what the fuck? But anyway, he's, he's the managing owner of the club now. He's the one that's in the uh, strategy meeting, uh, the product strategy committee that was discussed on the, in an athletic article recently. He's the one that goes to the board of governors meetings. He is the kind of grand poobah, so to speak, over this decision making. It, he, this is where the, that's where the decision making stops. Does the whole ownership group get it, get notified and do the, I'm sure they participate in a conversation related to it, but Mike's given fairly wide, um, authority to run the club. And so you can be certain that this was something that he was fully on board with. And so I think that there's, and I think it's important to highlight that not to necessarily point a finger at Mike or not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm not, I'm not personally, you know, I, 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 but I think that I'm, I am, he is responsible for making this decision. Like Buck stops there. So Regarding, there's been a lot of conversation about, did Jake Reed do this? Did Peter Vermees do this? Did who, look, the circle was pretty small. Vermees and Jake Reed were included in the circle. What their level of influence on that decision-making process was, I don't know. 
but I can assure you that Mike Gillig could veto it if he wanted. And in fact, had the majority of the control over what happened there. And um, I'm not telling people to personally go protest Mike Gillig or any of those things, but I have seen a, a number of people, you know, ask like, where, where does that decision-making happen? And I feel like a lot of, and, and this is intentional on Sporting's part, Jake Reed is the, is the president and CEO and is the one that is, um, has, is used as the shield for ownership in a lot of circumstances. And that's his job. He's the president and CEO. That is his job to do those things. So I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to, um, you know, give him a pass in this circumstance, but I feel like a lot of like how the ownership group works is kind of kept intentionally nebulous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as I can provide clarity on that, from what I see externally, I'll try and do that. But I can tell you that when Sperry asked the whole, um, did any women get consulted on this decision? And Vermees was obviously not ready for that question in the least blurted out some nonsense about. Just absolute nonsense. Women in the ownership group. Like, I just, again, this just speaks of of a group of guys that was not in the least bit prepared to have this conversation in any way. They were not ready to have it. And I, you know, I think they would have, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really care if they've been better off or not. They made the decision so they can, they can sit in it and stew in it and look like fucking idiots as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, they were not prepared to have that conversation. And, um, yeah, just the idiot comment that I mean, I don't know what I don't know. Vermes's options to say there are I don't know, no, or what he said. They're all pretty bad. Um, yeah. th- although he, he did seem to somehow select the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and, and the point of the comment, obviously, I mean, just not to because you know, we don't want it to get lost is you're when you're making a hire like this, you should consult women. Like women should be part of the decision-making. And that's the um, part of that's the part of this that I think um, is the most concerning about that comment. So yes, consulting the women, but the, the, his reason for why they weren't consulted was it was a fast process. Why was that's reassuring? (laughs) Why was this a fast process? Yeah. Yeah. Someone was going to sweep in and scoop him up. Somebody else wanted this shit sandwich more than, than we did. Well, but first of all, if you're going to make a, if you're like, we really landed on this guy being the right one, mm-hmm. wouldn't you be like, Hey, we should spend some extra time on this and make sure that this is really what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you have to rush it? Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was just a lame excuse, man. I just, yeah, and obviously we're parsing a lot of words in that environment. I think a lot of things got blurted out that probably aren't the most thought out responses, and you know, but for, but they they made that the bed. They themselves. made that bed. Oh yeah, 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 sure. But yeah, like the whole it was a rushed process. What this guy is going to be responsible for managing your roster, recruitment, signings, running your second team in your academy, and we rushed it. Yeah. It's just such a bad look. It's just, yeah, it's so bad. There's really nothing good here whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, 
I mean, and it's 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 more painful that it follows uh, the last two seasons, which uh, haven't been you know stellar seasons. And uh, last season specifically was uh, a really difficult season to be a fan of this team for all of the reasons that we've uh, that we've discussed. And um, the team you know fights back and and makes it to the playoffs and sweeps st louis and um and so they have uh i think a lot of uh goodwill you know um built up um and and they could be riding that motiva- motivation that that momentum uh into um into preseason and you know they just um they just threw a wrench into everything and um and you know uh, the fan base that, that we interact with specifically um, is is not thrilled about um, the team or the club or the the upcoming season and um, and man it's just a drag it's it's a, it's a terrible terrible thing honestly um, and 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 one that could have been very very easily avoidable yeah um, and I'll be you know I'll be interested to see what this means in the beginning of March, you know, six weeks from now, um, as far as the level of interest in the club, the potential for protests. Um, Zach, you know, when he was sort of surmising that perhaps leadership thinks this is going to be another sort of loud minority situation, it's a significantly loud, it's a significantly larger minority and a louder, larger minority than it was about the Arrowhead stuff. I can promise yeah. you that. Like that's yeah. very clear. Yeah. Um, how many people it is and what impact it has on game day experience, I don't know. And yeah. I, I, I do think someone made it a point there, though, is that, um, you know, I think the, the, the comment was, you know, 70% of the, you know, casuals that I know I have no idea what this is or what's going on with it. And, and I believe that's probably true. I mean, think of how many people go to a Chiefs game that have no fucking idea how people are signed or who they are. You know, they know the yeah. players on the field. They have no idea who Mark Donovan is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I, I understand from that perspective that that, that, that is a thing. Um, but a soccer team is a little different in that the atmosphere is brought by the most fervent supporters of the team. Mm-hmm. And the most fervent supporters of the team are not fans of this not at all. And that is going to be the sort of linchpin, I think, of, of what happens here as to whether anything changes. I, I got to be honest with everybody that, you know, is hoping, you know, or is potentially, you know, trying to put pressure on in their different ways on social media. I don't think any of these people care what you tweet. I mean, I'm not saying to stop doing it. I, I think it's perfectly, you know, adequate or perfectly, um, you're perfectly within your rights. And I think, you know, if you feel confident and continuing to do that and it gives you um, that that's something that you want to continue doing, I, I definitely continue doing it, but I'm not sure how much this team cares about do it, do it for yourself to do vent, it for yourself, but, but yeah. don't expect anything to come from it because it's right. unlikely that will realistically, happen. if the, if the managing owner of the club makes a decision to hire a guy, he's not going to revert because of some tweets. Right. Um, that's just not going to happen. So there's going to have to be something more significant um, to to cause there to be a reversion there. And I'm sure Wilkinson's got stuff in his contract. You know what I mean? Like they're going to have to pay him if they let him go for anything outside of um, cause or 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think um, his his existence causing disrepute to the club's brand is not going to be cause. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that I think is, you know, the unfortunate part of that means that he's going to be around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do guys. I, we, Cody and I haven't even really talked about this. If, when we might get back together to do this again, if we want to do that. Um, I know that, you know, there's, as, as you noted, Cody, there, you know, you're considering, you know, what your further involvement with this club looks like as far as participating in games or not. Um, I, I can't, I can't really say that I know what the right answer is to this either. Um, It's, like I said, our our feelings about this are, you know, personal in nature, but they're they're minute in comparison to the women that have that are having to be having to relive circumstances that they've had to go through in their life because of sporting hiring this guy, and that that that's you know we're we're frustrated and we're upset and we don't we're, we're upset that those people have to do those things. I'm much more upset about that than I am about the fact that they suck the fun out of this team for me. Um, but it is something that we're going to have to kind of think about and figure out, you know, what we want to do going forward. Um, I would say that if, if this is something that you're passionate about and, you want to continue to protest the the hire and whatnot. I think it's, like I said, I think it's good to continue doing those things. I think we should be realistic about change, but I think also organizing effectively. And I think that's where some of the people get upset with the cauldron is that that is a group that can help organize a large number of people that could create substantive change if, if they can get it together the right way. Um, I understand that, that, they can use that organization to get that message out. And maybe that is something that will happen. And maybe that is something that will help push some change forward. But so far there seems to be a whole lot of, uh, we'll just get to know the guy. You'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll like him. Come to our Q and a, he's a nice guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't really want to do that. No, not at all. I don't. I would I, say, I would say also, I would encourage everybody. I mean, you know, especially the guys who are listening to this podcast, talk to the women in your, in your lives and, um, and ask them for their opinion on this and then listen to what they have to say. Um, because, um, I think that, that, um, you know, their opinion matters maybe more than ours in, in this circumstance. And, um, I know that in speaking with my wife, she had uh, a lot of really, um, you know, insightful and moving things to say about this. And, um, and, uh, her views are important and cause she's a fan, just like I am. She doesn't have a podcast, <laughs> but, um, uh, it, it's a good thing. Cause, uh, she would, uh, she would be burning the place down by now probably. Um, so it's, um, you know, I think it's just incumbent on all of us to, uh, uh, to, proceed with, you know, empathy and understanding, um, and, and do everything we can to, uh, to make sure that the club is held accountable for this. I agree. 
I agree. And I think there are a variety of ways in which you can do that. And um, yeah, I think that that's a very good way of putting it. My wife and I had a long conversation about this today before we did the podcast. Um, and I think it is, it allows you to gain some perspective that is just candidly not something as men that we can appropriately have on our own. Right. Um, just like mm -hmm. what it, what it means to be a woman in that situation is something we can only imagine. And um, so it's good to be, be given that perspective and understanding so that you can appropriately get your mind into the right place yeah. about what this stuff really means. Yeah. Empathy is important. And, and obviously that's something that uh, the people who made this decision um, didn't practice. And it's obviously something I took a completely foreign concept to Gavin Wilkinson himself. And so uh, the best that, you know, the best that we can do uh, as fans and as people is just uh, practice it in our daily lives and, um, and see, see what happens. Yep. Okay. That was right. a uh, pretty morose way to uh, get together this week, but it was necessary, I think. And um, we will uh, we'll see what happens next. And until that time, I'm Drew. He's Cody. Bye-bye.